when I went to Dearborn driving that, uh, you know, uh, was up there. I don't know, man. It, it uh, I think the press thought I was crazy. I enjoyed it so much going up and uh, your new EV factory in uh, and that uh, that Hummer. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve Welcome on back to the Ruthless Variety program, a heavy news day. We're going to get you started in a really big way, but let's just talk for a minute about that audio we just heard from our president. And we have some context for it. Number one, I mean, it is disturbing to hear anyone speaking like that. I, I would personally, if I were if I were there and I heard someone speaking like this, I say, okay, please have a seat. We got to get you some cool water. I'm calling an ambulance. <laughs> But to let this guy pick a Supreme Court to a 50-50 Senate, not happening. Yeah, I mean, you know, they had Donald Trump uh, take a cognitive test. Yeah. And I've said it previously on the program, but it's it's time. It is time for Joe Biden to draw a yeah. clock. He has to draw a clock. <laughs> Sundown, you better take care. <laughs> and, and you know what? Like, there were There were so many ways that the left tried to hit him, but to me the weakest way was like, Trump doesn't have, like, the cognitive capability. The dude was an absolute shark. Like, he gutted Hillary live during debate. That, like, you'd be in jail line? Like, they were like, oh, this guy, his cognitive abilities are in decline. But that, like, he was like, eh, I tell you, hey, reporters don't like Hummer. me. I uh, <laughs> wish I could get a ride. The Hummer. Hummer. Wow. Holy wow. smokes. Holy smokes. Well, listen, it's a big day as it always is here yeah. at, the, at the Variety Program. We got a lot going on here. We've got a special guest, Josh Mandel, who's running for Senate in the great state of Ohio. It is a another entry in our attempt to get all of the viable primary candidates across this country on the program so you can make up your decision. He'll be with us. I hope you enjoy that. We also look, we've got some big announcements. We're gonna do a special Friday program yes. this week. Yeah. Don't don't reveal everything yet. You don't want me to say who we have? No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. It's just a special Friday program oh okay well i think it's gotta the, be exciting it's at the very at the very least smug because people are going to be wondering because it's been a while since we've played king of the hill okay okay we, you know which is you know it's not really our fault we had a lot of a lot of stuff going on we had special stuff we were traveling we had the desantis thing that's right we had the house leadership thing but we we do have to let the fans know this friday special will contain king of the hill yeah absolutely we got it locked in it's it's loaded up what, what, one more thing I think because it's been so long since we played the game, judge and jury is going to authorize a change of the rules. No kidding. Wow. Okay. This is huge news. I'm going to allow two weeks of evidence. Really? Two weeks of evidence. Two weeks of evidence. five rounds. Oh, it's It's best of five. five. Not three, five rounds. An unprecedented move this yeah. is a, this I'm, is a huge deal i'm an activist judge <laughs> 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 well it comes on a good day it yeah. comes on a good day because that's precisely what we're talking about we have one five star that i want to read here uh a five star from jane one four one four my new favorite she says i love this podcast 
Smart and funny, all caps. And just what I needed to get me through the Biden administration. Thank you for this podcast. You are welcome, thank Jane. You, Jane. Truly, and thank you for listening. You are welcome. Now we have to get on to our big news. Unless you have been under a rock, you have seen that Justice Stephen Breyer is retiring. According to sources, he himself was not allowed the dignity. That's exactly to right. It himself, which is part of the story here. I've been huge sa- part. I've been saying that the retire of Breyer is drawing ire. Yeah, well, I think wow. that's what we should name the program. Um, so anyway, it was announced about noon yesterday that Stephen Breyer would be retiring, and and the timetable was unclear in that announcement. Mm-hmm. Unclear, mm-hmm. right? For obvious reasons as it comes out, because Stephen Breyer didn't know he was announcing that he was retiring <laughs> yesterday. And again, you know, to me, so there's a lot, there's so many pieces at play here, and First off, I want to congratulate our listeners for being privy to the information you're about to get. You're going to get the inside baseball. You're going to get what no other news source, no other you know organization is going to tell you because a lot of what's going on here is behind the scenes. Number one, there's a lot to say about the fact he wasn't allowed to announce it himself. Yeah. No, that's big. That's big. And let me just give you a little bit of background just so you know. So, so I've worked on Supreme Court nominations since 2005 with Justice Roberts. That includes Alito, all of the Obama. Uh, Wait, we got you to blame for Justice Roberts? No, you sure don't. <laughs> you sure don't. But, you know, here I, it was at a stage in my career, and kind of I still am, where you give me a hill that I need to take, and I'll go take it. I, I feel that. So uh, You give me a hill to die on, I die on it. Yeah. But I, I, think, I think what you're getting at is the timing is a little unusual. So so this is, this, is, this is right, but I also wanted to give, so you know what we're talking about, Smug has worked on these things for years with a variety of interest groups. He's got huge insight into the thinking of the conservative movement as it comes to how we go about either opposing or supporting our nominees. And Ashbrook ran comms for years in support of or opposed to uh, nominees as they came to the Senate. So we've really got like a lot of in-house knowledge. Excuse on this. me. Excuse me. Also, I am a judge and jury on a horse fighting podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and An activist, just no less. I mean, you're leaving out my credentials. I'm sorry. I did not mean to omit that, and I've offended the old man. I take it. I retract everything. Listen, Michael Duncan should be on the short list. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's it. If I could, what is it? What is it called, Ashbrook? An amicus friend of the friend of the friend court. of the court. Yeah, yeah friend of the court. Friend. If if I could advise Joe Biden to go back on that promise of a black woman, Michael Duncan is an excellent activist judge. <laughs> would do a fine job. <laughs> Can you imagine the old man on that? He wouldn't even read the brief. Oh God, be like, it'd be the guilty. best. It'd be the best. <laughs> guilty. Um, so here's the thing. We started with the idea that Breyer didn't know he was actually retiring, which is somewhat of a big deal for a number of reasons. The first is, um, it's just sort of uncouth, right? It's not done. The second is there's a timing element at play when it comes to the session of the court, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at Sotomayor, if you look at Kagan, both of them were summertime announcements and summertime confirmations. And uh, this is obviously not the middle of the summer. It's not the middle of the summer. So usually when you get a retirement, it comes in the month of June because it's the end of the session. They render a bunch of decisions at that point and they have much of the summer off before you begin a new term in October. The important part of that is because you have want a full court. Right. Now, this became a problem at some point with the death of Justice Scalia. Mm-hmm. Remember, they had 
an even court at that point because he had passed away. And there was some conjecture about whether even if Obama was able to fill the seat, whether or not they could render any sort of votes on an ultimate decision in any of those cases. I don't ultimately know where that lands, but I do know it it makes an incredibly uncomfortable thing because Breyer has sat and listened to all of the arguments in the cases that they're now considering. That's right. And and so uh, to contextualize this for for folks on a a more personal level, uh, the fact that he wasn't allowed the dignity to announce this on his own, the fact that it was leaked, uh, it it would be kind of like if you were getting ready to propose, you know, uh, to a nice young lady, and then a day before your buddy rolls up, you know, when you're hanging out with her, and he's like, hey, guess what? He's going to propose to you at that restaurant tomorrow. <laughs> That's what this is like. It's an absolute insult. It's very it's very messed up. Uh, but beyond Wait, so that— you, you think it was an unauthorized leak? Oh, uh, 100%. Where, where do you think it came from? To me, you know, there's a couple thoughts on this, because historically speaking, the Supreme Court is almost like sacrosanct in the sense that they can keep secrets there. Things don't leak out of there. Um, conversely, this is the like official White House of backbenchers of backbenchers, like the intern's intern, uh, the guy who messes up the coffee orders is who is on Biden's staff right now. Um, so if if you know anyone in in uh, Breyer's camp were to reach out to the White House, like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about, you know, going forward, it would not surprise me if any of those clowns were to leak it because I know for a fact. A lot of those people are attention-seeking clowns. They know they don't have a great job. They know they're not doing it. Things aren't going great. Right, right. right. And, 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 and that's the other part, the things not going great part of this, right? I mean, you've got record inflation. The stock stock market is in the toilet. You've got, you know, COVID out of control. Um, and nothing, nothing on a grocery and store. And his show. attempt, and, right. Biden's attempt last week to reboot, as right. the press were calling, fell completely flat. Right. And BBB is still dead, and the HR one or HR four or whatever they're calling it now, HR one squared, uh, is going nowhere right now. So they really want to turn the page to something new. So, I mean, I think that's the motivation, right? It seems like it to me. Here's the interesting part: the guy who broke the news is a guy named Pete Williams, who works for NBC News. If, if long, long, t- long time, yeah, long time. Uh, guy that covers the court very credible it, well yeah if you've if you've noticed anything about covering the department of justice or the court there are a couple of reporters that stand above pete williams is always somebody who's sourced in doj better than anybody else on the planet right he always breaks the news so it, it suggests to me that it may have come from doj at Ooh, some interesting. unbelievable interesting yeah and and we know that's not the most reputable spot these days. No. Um, Merrick? And, and, and it's just, Merrick it, is probably pretty hot that somebody else is getting oh gosh, a, a can shot. Can you imagine his rage? <laughs> He's like, man, I tried cracking down on parents, and now they, they stepped over me? So you think somebody was pre-vetting potential replacements? I mean, my theory is one of two things. It's either the old man's theory that this administration got so desperate they just wanted to push out something that would change the news cycle. Which I think mm. there's a lot of th- lot makes a lot of sense. It does. It's also an escape hatch legi- like on the legislative calendar. Be able to say like, ah, you know, I don't know if we can get all this done now. Because remember, in Bi- in Biden's reboot, he was like, well, we're going to get chunks of BBB. Right. Like he doesn't understand the reconciliation process and how <laughs> all that works. Right. You can't actually do it in chunks. And also, like I gave folks the pro tip a couple episodes ago about polling has shown historically that. 
Uh, voters' minds are hardened at the end of spring in terms of which party they support in the midterms. Historically, we've seen this almost every single midterm. And the fact that the timing of this is is right around then when they're like, listen, we don't want folks thinking about how groceries are more expensive than ever, how there's no supply chain. Right. In in any sort of and a, that they a don't have and order. that they don't have any plans to fix it right Bingo. and so this is a run out the clock exercise in my opinion I yeah don't know. well so there's a lot of t- angst on the left with how Ruth Bader Ginsburg obviously uh, passed away before allowing a Democrat to replace her on the court and thereby being replaced you by, know I didn't notice a lot of angst <laughs> yeah a lot of angst a lot and, of angst and also when we bring up like a uh, the dark money groups who are responsible who are putting out ads they had trucks with signs being like Briar retire bitch yeah um, <laughs> going around in DC yeah uh, is is that clown who was like uh, the comms director or something Fallon for, Fallon. Fallon. Fallon Brian Fallon who's the comms director not just for this uh, clown ass dark money group pushing all that but also for hillary's campaign like the guy's got a great track record yeah. of being a clown he's he's had a, a, a seamless and actually perfect record up to this point at getting supreme court justices slammed down his throat <laughs> okay 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 so if the professional left was pushing for this to happen was ready for this to happen you yeah. got to think that schumer's statement had been drafted a month ago yeah did you guys see what schumer said in his statement i did Okay, well, this guy, Andy Quinn, who is a good friend of the program, tweeted something that I don't know how many people noticed it, but suffice it to say, if Schumer were a Republican, everybody would notice it. A hundred percent. Here's what Andy Quinn pointed out. Who wants to tell the majority leader's office why the phrase, quote, all deliberative speed, unquote, is ultra famous in Supreme Court jurisprudence? And that, of course, is referring to the statement that Chuck Schumer put out. Well, he said that they would confirm the justice with all deliberative speed. It's sort of an interesting turn of phrase. You don't hear that kind of thing every day. It's like, where did that come from? No, I can't remember the last time I heard that. Well, you may have heard it uh, back in the 50s. (laughs) You may have heard it back in the 50s in a a little Supreme Court decision, uh, Brown v. Board. you got to be kidding. No, no. It was in Brown v. Board. It was in the Warren majority opinion. And the reason it was used, critics say was to give the South, I'm not making this up, to give the South a a way to throttle integration where they didn't actually have to integrate immediately. I mean, are, are you kidding me? Think if a Republican would have put that statement out. It'd be over. Just, think, be just think about that. He's literally using a phrase unused in the English language except for in one landmark Supreme Court decision that, that many civil rights advocates said was a used basically by the South to sort of not integrate their schools. I mean, remember how everyone freaked out when uh, during the, the summer of riots, when billions of dollars of damage were done across the country, cities burned down. Uh, when, when Trump tweeted out, uh, when the when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And everyone's like, holy shit, that's like a Bull Connor thing, which like evidently everything's a Bull Connor thing. According to the Dems these days, that's right. But the fact that he d- that Schumer gets nothing for it, nobody even said a word. Oh, he's, he's never going to get anything for anything. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw his Buffalo Bills video, but it was the most cringeworthy thing I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah, it internet. doesn't surprise me. I mean, he's terrible. He's incredibly cringe, like trying so hard because it's obvious he knows AOC is going to take his job. It's tough. 
But he's also got a really puzzling thing, as does the White House with what we initially talked about with this, which is he says he'd like to move expeditiously in some ways with this in a time frame that rivals the confirmation process that Republicans had last fall with with or in fall of 2020 with Amy Coney Barrett. And you can't start talking about time frame if you can't talk about who some of the people are they're considering for this job. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys noticed. Did you hear Jen Psaki got a couple of questions about she did. who their favorite is? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's hear. Do we have any sound on uh, that? Uh, yeah, we got some sound. And let me ask you a couple other questions. Is there any scenario in which the president would select his vice president Kamala Harris for the Supreme Court? Again, I'm not going to speak to uh, any considerations, preparations, lists. Um. When you were asked about the vice president possibly being selected as a Supreme Court nominee, you said you're not going to speak to any considerations. Does that mean she is being considered? Uh, Again, Peter, I'm not going to speak to uh, the reports of a Supreme Court justice retirement that hasn't been announced. Oh, wait so, a minute. Did they did they leak the Briar News because they want Harris out of there that bad? That is amazing. Well, you'll recall there was a a very long, I forget if it was the New York Times or the Washington Post that did a long piece on all the troubles of Kamala Harris. This was probably two months ago. Did you guys read this? Do you remember? I, remember, remember? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we yeah. talked about it on the program. We did. Mm-hmm. But, but in that, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have any of this in front of me. It just occurred to me as we were talking about. But in that... There was discussion about how the vice president's staff was had to periodically knock down a quote unquote West Wing like yeah. <laughs> theory that she would be moved out of the vice president's office in order to be nominated for the Supreme Court. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. That was 100%. in that piece two months ago, right? So now now all of this is happening in sort of a herky jerky, bizarre way. And it's like ah. I don't know. I just stranger things have happened. Honestly, like West Wing is like the guiding light for this entire administration. Like, (laughs) thank you, Every All their decision making is like, guys, here's the thing is I think this is our play. And they're like, what the fuck? That sounds crazy. It's like a a baseball double switch. They're like, listen, (laughs) this was an episode of West Wing. And they're like, okay, I guess we can run it. (laughs) I mean, they need somebody to run for president in 24. Right? It can't be Kamala and it can't be sundown. Can you can you <laughs> can you imagine can you imagine that conversation in the oval? Kamala, you're never gonna be president. <laughs> hey, look at your look at your fave and fave. Here are your your poll numbers. Look, I'm not gonna run again. I'm not gonna say that right now until after the midterms, but it's never gonna be you. <laughs> like number one, so like I would imagine so I think that would be the reasonable talk to have. If I were if I were if I were Joe Biden in the Oval Office, I think that'd be the reasonable it would approach. Be. But the fact that he's like so soft that she's like, I was that girl. You remember when she called him a racist at the debate? And he's like, Okay, guess you're my VP. Yeah. Like I think Biden is incredibly soft, not just you know in in, in terms of his political acumen, but he's not all there. He, he's just like floating around. He clearly can't run again. Well, I'm glad like you brought- our opener showed this guy can't run again. No, he certainly can't. But I'm glad you brought up the the uh, debate where she called him a racist because that set in motion a series of events. That did. That did. There were two events. One of the came to fruition today. The first event was the fact that he picked Kamala Harris in the first place because he pledged to pick a black woman. Right. The second is he also pledged to put the first black woman on the Supreme Court. Right. So now when we're talking about nominees. The president has hemmed himself into a place where he's only considering one gender 
and and one race of people in order to fill the vacancy of the Supreme Court. And and me personally, I feel it's. It, it's awful. It's, it kind of feels like the soft bigotry of low expectations to be like, oh, okay, you know, this is why you are being picked. But, but I'll humor, I'll humor Joe Biden, and I'll say, if if you are limiting yourself to candidates who have to be a black woman, why not diamond or silk? Like, I think Republican senators, my message to you: stand together. Don't confirm anybody unless it's diamond or silk. We're giving them two options. Usually it's like, okay, here's our nominee. You know, everybody talk about it. Senators, you're free to meet with them and, and learn about their, like, philosophy on jurisprudence and such. Diamond or silk. That's our counteroffer. <laughs> the funny thing is you'd, Republicans in the Senate would still be like, I'm withholding until I see the information. Yeah, yeah. But, you know. <laughs> But anyway, the talk about this confirmation, obviously it starts with who he's going to nominate, but I think you're going to see some confusion over the next week because the, the way you roll this out seems very haphazard. You certainly don't want to offend a justice who's currently sitting there with, right. with a caseload of administration stuff, There is the very way. serious stuff coming up yeah. in the Supreme Court. With a caseload of serious So they've offended him, but also now what's the timeline? Like, are you going to race a confirmation in which... You could potentially take Stephen Breyer off the court right before he's supposed to render decisions. I mean, it's it, the fact that so historically looking again, you know, you've, you had Kagan, uh, Sotomayor. They were all they were all uh, uh, announced June confirmed August, right, Ashbrook? Yeah, I that's, think that's right. That's so, right. So the thing is, is this is so telling that they botched this so badly. Yeah. Well, this is so interesting. Shannon Bream, who's very well sourced at the court, tweeted something today. She says. Multiple sources tell me that Breyer was not planning to announce his retirement today. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. They describe him as, quote, upset, end quote, with how it has played out. I mean, the Biden administration is your is like a scumbag buddy. You've got this like, huge <laughs> proposal situation. Like, I'm going to have roses, and, and like the waiter's going to bring out the ring in a champagne glass, who shows up the day before, and he's like, Hey, guess what? He's going to propose to you tomorrow at dinner. Like, I cannot overstate <laughs> how awful a job the Biden administration has done to begin with. He's been there for, what, a quarter century? Or when, you're, when your your uh, wife's buddy calls the dad and said, I'm so excited you're having a boy. <laughs> yeah, like, right? What? There you I go. didn't know she was pregnant. so anyway what it means though is it's a 50 50 senate right and so all the troubles that senate democrats have had here over the last year with trying to get their agenda passed in a 50 50 senate are also compounded by the fact that they've now got the most partisan thing that you can do in the united states senate with an evenly divided body right so the question will all now focus on Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, probably the Republicans in the middle too, like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney, maybe like a Rob Portman or others about where whether this thing lives or dies. And ultimately, it's a lot of it's going to have to do with the process, which I believe is totally convoluted at the front part. Like I don't know when they're going to make this nomination. Generally speaking, you don't want to let this lay out there for a really long time because you let all the groups do all the research right. and everybody gets ready to pounce right when the nominee is announced. So you'd like to do you like to thin that timeline. Like if you recall, uh, Trump did, usually did it about a week to 10 days. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that a 50 50 split in the Senate guarantees that this is going to be a difficult vote that will take center stage and, and the trial will be 
in immediately in front of everybody for the foreseeable future. It really will with some really consequential stuff. So we'll see what it is. We're going to stay totally on this. Um, but I think that this is going to be a fight. Honestly, Democrats may believe that this gets them out of problems. I'll be honest with you. I think I think conservatives care a hell of a lot more about the Supreme Court than liberals do. Our side is very energized. I mean, you, you can already, I, I guess this is Duncan's expertise, but like small dollar donors are going to be so energized on our side for a shot at being on offense, right? We've spent the last three three Supreme Court justices playing defense. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's a big motivating factor for the base, but I think ultimately, um, you know, if, if the Biden administration still can't get anything done on the legislative front, they can't get BBB done, they can't get HR1, HR4, any, anything else really done, I, I, I don't see how the left is more motivated by a Supreme Court fight than our folks. Particularly one that's replacing a dogmatic liberal. Right. Right? And that, I guess, is my point, and why would you time it this way? Because the only thing that you can seek to accomplish here is to complicate the decisions that are in front of the court currently, which, oh, by the way, include things like abortion. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're a liberal, this is you've based your entire ideology around the issue of abortion over the last 15 years. That's the case that is the biggest abortion case that's come to the court probably in the last 20 years is on the docket right now. It will be heard by Stephen Breyer. So how does this help that situation for you? Like, how does that <laughs> you're going to make your abortion talk like post facto? I, I, I just don't. It's really, really difficult for me to see how this was done in any way that makes any strategic sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing you could hope if you are if you're Chuck Schumer is if you get this out of the way in the spring in a confirmation rather than the summer and early fall that your incumbent Democratic senators who are up for re-election have more time to be. Oh involved. yeah, because we're not going to notice at all. Right, right. Like that. <laughs> like none of us will notice when Catherine Cortez Masto marches down and votes for the first Supreme Court right, justice right. of her entire right. career. She's right. got to go. It's insane. Right. I mean, insane. Like that's a perfect example. Here's somebody who joined the the left wing mob to make shit up about Justice Kavanaugh, who voted against Gorsuch, who voted against Amy Coney Barrett. She's going to turn around and rubber stamp whatever psychopath Joe Biden puts into nomination and then pretend like she's a moderate. Right, right. Wow. What a heavy lift. Yeah. What a heavy lift. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, seriously, the only thing Mark Kelly's got going for him is he's only been there for two years. You know, he's only he's only 0 and 1. Right. She's got the full mess. I mean, that's I think the one upside of this is we are going to hold to account like not like we weren't going to have a red wave. Yeah. But they, I, I want a lot of senators who try to act like they're centrist to realize you're going to be held to account. Oh, yeah. This is coming if the, your if way. If you're in cycle, you better wake up. This is coming because your way. Because voters are not going to be happy with you if you try to act like you're a maverick right. going, hey, you know mm-hmm. what? I'm going to go along with this because you know it's going to be a, an insano activist judge. Well, look at picks. Sotomayor and Kagan. Two people were on the court. Like, granted, they get a very partisan divide in terms of their confirmation, but they might as well be DNC press secretaries. Yeah. Like, you saw... There you go. 100%, dude. You saw Sotomayor, her comments during the vaccine mandate when she was talking about 
it, during that case when she was talking about how like tens of thousands of children are dying like right w- w- completely wrong misinformation complete misinformation right. like this is supposed to be one of the smartest people on the face of the planet she is indistinguishable from an msnbc comment ha- has has yep. no understanding of the facts yeah and that's what we're gonna get that's what we're gonna get the next nominee is gonna be one of those you mark my words well so so and hopefully we can leave our listeners with this because there's been a lot of talk about the red wave particularly in the house there's not been as much talk about the senate I hope for our listeners and for Republican grassroots uh, folks across the country, this confirmation fight crystallizes the fact that the Senate chamber is up as well and that we have a real chance of flipping the Senate. Flippable, right? And you can have constitutionalist conservatives like Adam Laxalt, for example, who've spent time as a, as a prosecutor in Iraq. Right. Or you can have some absolute empty suit in Catherine Cortez Masti who just like sort of votes with party line no matter what. Right. Right. And like those choices are all being put in front of us in a way that I don't think BBB and the rest of those things ultimately had as good a job articulating as this does. Right. Nowhere to hide. Nowhere to hide. (laughs) All right. You guys want to talk monkeys? Yes. Let's talk monkeys. All right. So you recall we talked about the truck that crashed with the monkeys? Yes. I was I was tagged a lot. I'm sure you guys as well in in this update. I'm yeah, very I excited. love it so much. The minions, our followers, our listeners are are awesome. Do we have an, like an entire re- research department of the Ruthless Variety? Program. I know it. so it's fantastic. It. So, so fortunate. So there there was a hundred monk lab monkeys that were they were in a crash and they went spilling out all, over everywhere and it took them several days to round them up. They ultimately executed a couple of monkeys. Did you guys know that we we previously thought that they'd all been back? But they, they took four out. Yeah. Right? I don't know. No, no talk about why they took the four out. Yeah. But Smug at some point speculated. I mean, here's the thing is, number one, this whole situation is so sketchy. It's insanely sketchy. They're like, uh, so we don't know where some of these monkeys are. We're not going to tell you the situation about these monkeys. We did like second level research and found out, you know. Uh, there were people uh, pushing to have like an emergency stockpile of monkeys to do tests on (laughs) and you know unconnected but I recall uh, Fauci approved remember those uh, uh, tests on how flies eat puppy faces yeah okay we've got a lot of very sick folks out there who are down (laughs) with like animal testing right Uh, you ever uh, you ever uh, see that movie that was it Secret of Nim or read the books about what is it the rats of Nim was like these rats got all this government testing done on them and they became smart and like rose up. Wow, smug Folks, reads. Yeah. Holy we, shit. We are, are looking news. at a situation when, when, when like all the news is like, oh, uh, you know, uh, we don't want to talk about this anymore. hundred monkeys went missing for, you know, presumed dead or whatever. And then you see in the news, some woman is sick. Yeah. She got bit by a monkey. So that's the news, right? So, I mean, like so, we're so, seeing this happen right now. Everything we said on the previous episode coming true. Everything we said. Everything we said. And you, you even said you heard it here first. You heard it here which first. Which you did hear for, here first. It turns out a woman who went to go help because these monkeys were scattered across the highway. I don't know if she was bitten or became like in close contact with him. Anyway, she's sick, really sick. It's oh, just no. a tragedy. And some of these monkeys were missing. And I think that uh, the, if there's a silver lining, um, <laughs> I'd love to see if where these this goes. if these monkeys were vaccinated, 
<laughs> then, right? then the rods in their system would talk directly to Fauci's laptop. I mean, number one, number one, you, you, this is a very obvious situation. Fauci, Fauci should the, know exactly the, where these pe- where these monkeys the are. The talking rods do do the work. Why why weren't why weren't they wearing masks? They weren't well, wearing any masks this is either. The problem. But here's the thing. Here, so here's here's what we know. The shipment of monkeys was en route to a CDC-approved quarantine facility after arriving Friday morning at New York's Kennedy Airport from Mauritius, Yeah, the agency said. Uh, crates littered the road on Friday, and troopers searched for the monkeys with rifles in hand. We now know that they had to kill a couple of them. Dude, we we are gonna we we are going to see the end of the Omicron variant, and we're gonna get the monkey. Variant. We're gonna get the monkey yeah. disease. We're going to get the monkey disease. Three monkeys that escaped the trailer after the collision, as I said, the next day were euthanized. But they've not talked anything about why they were euthanized. I thought you wanted it. Dude, I bet he was personally on the horn. 100%. (laughs) 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 Laughing, laughing, parody, parody. Parody, parody. This is a parody. I'm just picturing a monkey on a most wanted sign. It's like dead or alive. But in all honesty, that's a lot of monkeys to be on the road from the CDC. Yeah, I mean, it, we don't have a safer way to we don't have a safer way to transport these things. I mean, listen, I mean, this is a parody. I would not be surprised. We see a tweet from the World Health Organization that says, "Listen, folks, those monkeys that escaped, uh, they don't transmit anything person to person. So <laughs> you don't have to be concerned." Parody, parody, <laughs> parody, parody. We're laughing. Um, all right, so the other thing that caught my eye this week, and this is a hobby horse of Ashbrook and I for sure, is the Hall of Fame and the Baseball Hall of Fame in particular. They they made their votes, and this is a convoluted, shitty process that we'll talk about here, but but it turns out, you know, Big Poppy got in, right? Which I have no problem with. He, he definitely deserves it. Uh, a, a great Red Sox. I'm not a Red Sox fan, but it's hard to to say that he wasn't deserving. 500 home runs. You, yeah, you can't, the guy deserves it. Guy deserves it. But what was more important were the people who did not get in on their last possible ballot to get in. Right, Johnny? Yeah, and I think you know one of the most interesting tweets about this, and honestly, this gets me so angry because. The Hall of Fame is supposed to be about performance on the field. It's supposed to be about what you can do when you're playing baseball. It's not supposed to be about appeasing the the fathers of the the sport and the writers of the sport. It's supposed to be about what you produce on the field. And there's this New York Times writer. Uh, it was actually, I guess, he's actually a ba- their baseball editor. He had a very very interesting observation. Um, in a tweet last night that said that the non-Hall of Fame players at this point could probably beat any combination of the who, Hall of who Fame are players. The non, who are the non-Hall of Fame players? So, all right, so so Barry Bonds is the is the number one person who we're talking And Barry about. can't get on again? It's, ba- he's cut off? Bar- Barry is well, the, well, the all-time well, he, he actually, home run Yeah, leader. so this guy actually listed a lineup, and he suggested that this lineup was better than Wait, so, so was this Barry Bonds' is cut off? Is that the situation here? He's, yeah, he's no more? Yeah, he can't get in. That's and right. we feel bad about this? He was oh, juiced up well, so, so what's yours? Right. He's a 14-time All-Star, 7-time MVP, 8-gold gloves. juice helped sh- his glove? Sh- shoot me up with that well, stuff. And so, who knows? Have you seen the before and after pictures of Barry Bonds? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is the Ash- dude looks like Ken Griffey, and then he looks like the goddamn Hulk. Like, after Ash- he gets shot Ash- up. Ash- Ashbrook's talking about their performance on the field. Yeah, and that's uh, why the you performance was performance-enhancing medication. You know what I mean? 
All right. I who's will, next? Who's next? So, okay. So here's got? here's my question. There's a guy named Gaylord Perry in the Hall of Fame. The okay. guy cut balls. He spit on balls. He put Vaseline on balls, and he's in the Hall of Fame. He modified the ball. These guys didn't modify the ball. And you're I telling, think Tom you're Brady telling me, should go in, in the Hall of you're Fame. You're telling me guy, that every you know. single one of Barry Bonds' 14-time All-Star seasons was corrupted? Yes. Let, let's, read, let's read the list of players yeah, go for who it. these writers have kept out well, well, of the Hall of well, Fame. What's a list of people who can't get in? The folks who are like let's, officially let's cut read off. It. Let's read it. Okay, read it. So let's these are it. like, they can't get in because <laughs> read they didn't it. get Mark, in now. Mark McGuire. He doesn't deserve it. 12-time All-Star. Juice Tall Hell. 12-time All-Star. Juice Tall Hell. Jeff Kent. Five-time All-Star, MVP. Shitty guy. Scott Rowland, seven-time All-Star, National League Rookie of the Year. Crook, crook, absolutely. Alex Rodriguez, 14-time All-Star, three-time MVP, two Golden Gloves. A-Rod should have got in. A-Rod got screwed. Wait, A-Rod can't get in? This isn't A-Rod's last last. No, it's not his last. But they they blocked him. The only person that they let in is Big Poppy. I mean, I I don't like the Yankees. A-Rod is one of the greatest players who ever played. Here's the chart. Hold on. Before you read the rest of the list. Here's where it turns for me, okay? I was with you, Smug, and then mm-hmm, I was a mm-hmm. purity of the game guy. Yeah. Right? Where I felt like nobody who was involved in any way with steroids should be involved in the Hall of Fame. As long as that's the rules. Right. Me, personally, I say let them shoot whatever they want. Sure. Let's get some, like, you know, insano sports but going. But here is where this but turns. But as long as the rules. Here, here is where this turns for me. Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame. He was the commissioner who presided over all of this shit. If the person who's in charge of all of it, the person who looked the other way while the game was quite obviously shifting in that direction, while the pitchers that pitched to Barry Bonds were juiced up and the catchers that caught the balls behind Barry Bonds were juiced up and every player in the field was juiced up, then ultimately what we're talking about here is a competition between juiced-up players. See, I, and in that competition, nobody was better than see, Mary Bonds. I, I disagree. I think in that context, Bud Selig deserves it even more. Because, you know, the, <laughs> just the, the, the lesson to take from here Speaks. is be the guy who makes the rules, not the people who have to live by the rules, okay, man. Okay, okay. Like, are you, like, good for Bud Selig? You Get in the who, Hall you, of Fame. You know who else is in the Hall of Fame? Kennesaw Mountain Landis. And what I'm trying to imagine he, is taking my, kids, taking my kids to the Hall of Fame and saying, yes, children, gather around, view the plaque of Kennesaw Mountain Landis, behold his supernatural ability to keep Jackie Robinson out of baseball. Look, well, look, yeah. hey, hold, hold on. There hold, you go. Hold on, hold on, hold so on. So you're playing the lip card. Hold, hold on, hold on. Okay, I think we need to acknowledge the bias of our friend here, John Ashbrook. Well, you know what this is about. This because is what, this is re- what this is really about, our okay. friend from Please Cincinnati, I, we know what you're saying. this entire conversation is actually a Trojan horse. It is. For his real conversation, and that conversation is he wants Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. Pete, Let's just be honest. And Pete, Pete Rose, Rose should not be in the Hall Pete of Fame. Pete Rose is a nope. 17-time All-Star. He's an MVP. He played this more games. This is crazy. This is insane. More no. games. Oh, no, not happening. Uh, more games. Oh, I more never, oh, I never bet on the Reds. I yeah. cheated all the yeah, time. Pete Rose never gets in. Okay, oh, Tris Speaker. He's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and okay. he deserves it. Pete Rose doesn't. Oh, true. <laughs> the guy, Pete the Rose guy is a fixed crook. games. The guy is a crook. Pete Rose is a crook. He Pete doesn't Rose deserve it. played more games, more at-bats, more singles, more hits, more time spent on base than any other player in yeah, history. Yeah, he had to because his bookie would be like, Pete, get your ass out there. Dude, Cooperstown is full of assholes, and it's not fair to block him just because he happens to be the one Listen, that Listen, if like. we start being like, we, we're not going to let assholes in, we're no different than How about the this? Lids, How man. about this? How about this? We believe in rules. Did, Pete Rose broke the rules. He let, doesn't get in. That's let, it. Hold on. Let's take it out of 
Let's take it. This is, A-Rod should be This is though. another. I'm going to take it out of the steroid era. This, this is the one that makes me the most angry, but I think it goes to John's point, which is the selection committee for the Baseball Hall of Fame is all controlled by a bunch of arrogant sports writers who have basically elected themselves. Okay, now you're getting me on board. Yeah, who basically elected now themselves you're me on board. the arbiters of truth. It's the journo's fault, right? This is no, 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 hold on, but he, listen to this. Can somebody please give me one fucking explanation for why it is that Kurt Schilling... Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling. Six-time All-Star. Six-time All-Star. He was a World Series MVP at the bloody sock in the famous World sock, uh, Red Sox World Series. Somebody tell me why that guy is not in the Hall of Fame and can't get in. And I t- I'll tell you so, why. Do you know why it is? Politics. They don't like his politics. And, and here's He's a Republican. Is, also, what I love about Kurt Schilling is he played the shit out of the state of Massachusetts. Are you aware of his like VC thing? Yeah, he lost all his money. He's bankrupt. <laughs> but I still love it that he was like, I hate the state of Massachusetts. You should. He got money from the state of Massachusetts to fund his venture. I mean, lost it all, but he was like, fuck it. Yeah. So for, on that basis, screwing the state of Massachusetts, you should get in the Hall of Fame. But I, I support get, that. My, my point is, these are people who we have we cheered for when we were kids. These are people who I never baseball cheered cards. For okay, well, I cheer you, for A Rod, but you know what? Honestly, he shouldn't get in because Ben Affleck stole his girl. <laughs> That's pretty good. So I, you know, I'm consistent. None of these clowns should be in. I don't know, man. I, Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens should be in the Hall of Fame. Gary Sheffield. No, hell no. Sheffield absolutely. Manny not. Ramirez. No, Manny. Hell no. Hell no. No, no should not be in there. Dude. Ridiculous. Yeah. Manny should. Look, I mean, this is crazy. Children, How are you proposing children, these people? Children, look at the board of Canisaw Mountain Landis. <laughs> Not a single person that your father rooted uh, honestly, for when he was a kid the, is in here. The truth here, the takeaway from this, folks, is the sport to follow is NFL and NCAA basketball. Like, oh, what are we guy, talking about? I love that one guy that the heroes in. The guy, the one guy that doesn't watch baseball is giving us advice. I'm a Yankees on the fan. I don't have to watch baseball. <laughs> oh, did we win the World Series? Wow. Okay, if not, I'll yeah. put the hat back on. Bingo. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> Anyway, Outrageous. I think this is I think this is a debate worth having because I'm with Ashbrook on the process. I've been conflicted for years about the players, but I've turned the corner on it because of because of the process and because of the Kurt Schilling thing, honestly. I think it's completely insane that you have sports writers who like decide amongst themselves in their cocktail parties that all live in urban environments. And I, I, and I personally, get, I never personally put on a jock strap. I, I make a promise to all our listeners: I will never let Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. It's <laughs> just outrageous. <laughs> Nobody deserves to be there more. He's with Merrick now, the greatest player in the history <laughs> of baseball. Pete Rose, is, Pete Rose is with Merrick. As, as long let as me, I live, he doesn't. Let get me in. give a play by play. Ashbrook it might come over the table. Is, there is contention in the studio. Uh, I mean, you can't let me know what you care about because that's what I go. I gotta there's, turn the I gotta turn the page. It's gonna me, get one, ugly. One more thing: there is not a single player in baseball today who is on track to being close to Pete Rose's hit record. He not wasn't that great. Dude. Pete Rose wasn't that great. <laughs> oh my god! No. Overrated. Outrageous. Overrated. That's just outrageous. Outrageous. Okay. outrageous. I gotta turn the page, otherwise there's gonna be fights. Uh, this is Randy Weingarten. Um, I don't know if we can go any hotter in terms of our fury here on the program, yeah, but this, this might gets make, me enraged. This might get there. Uh, Randy Weingarten's union is buying his service to filter news for misinformation for millions of students. And again, quote, misinformation. Quote, misinformation. You imagine what the what she thinks is misinformation, right? This is the this is like literally the worst person. Axios reported Ameri- a piece called America's Kids get an inter- internet librarian. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
New Same way that China, you know. Exactly. Congratulations to Xi. Thank you. He's given them an yeah. internet librarian. It's Smug, very yeah. nice. Smug, you just did the cliff notes of what I was setting just up. Just trying to curate it a little. Yeah. <laughs> so NewsGuard, a service that uses trained journalists to rate news and information sites, will become available to millions of public school students this week through a partnership with the American Federation of Teachers. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, and I love trained journalists. Like they aren't goddamn trained seals already. You clap when it's a damn, and you give a hard time to a Republican. Like this is unbelievable. It's the whole un- basis of, especially these news organizations that had their like misinformation desks and dystopia desks or whatever, which is all just like, listen, folks, Hunter Biden, all everything on that laptop is is Russian disinformation. Turns out it's all true, but the election already happened. Like well, and, and, this is the and, same play. And just the idea that the news gathering process is something that requires. What they make it sound like is some sort of like advanced Ph.D. program that you have to complete in in order to know what's news and what's not news. Yeah. Right. Right. It's this this gatekeeping factor to to our media, which is so destructive to our democracy. The idea that there are these elite and these experts who can tell you what's fact and fiction that has been proven to be wrong again and again and again. hundred percent. All the time. Just look at like PolitiFact. Fucking right? outrageous! The, the fact-checking thing that all of our news media and our and our social media sites—they're always wrong. They're always wrong. I mean, these are the people who said when 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 Tom Cotton raised the idea that yes. the coronavirus could have escaped from a lab in Wuhan, and they did a political fact check saying, "Well, the experts say that's impossible," and then lo and behold, oh. months and months later. Okay, well, we're going to remove this from our fact check because um, apparently he was right. It's insane. And, and, and but, I, but they can, but they can, in a moment in time, in a snapshot in time, because they talked to three people who they were fed to by Democrats who yep. work at the DNC. Yep. Um, they can render judgment on what is fact and fiction in America is fucking frightening. It's horrific, and I think that's one of the biggest issues of our time. And it not is enough focus is being given on that. Is you see that the Dems? It's not enough. For them to win it's not enough for them to have the house the senate the white house they have to silence any opposition they're stuck with this guy who's talking about like uh, like uh, a ride in the hummer and they're stuck with that so it's not like they can deal with anyone asking on questions like peter Ducey did the other day like what are your thoughts on inflation he's like oh you dumb son of a bitch like they can't deal with actual information they can't deal with the facts they have to make sure that their narrative is what people believe is I, the wa- I, wa- I want to read a quote from the person who started this news guard situation because if this doesn't chill you i don't know what will if you think back to like we said we were not going to read the federalist papers on this on this program and we're still not going to read the federalist program but i will say the 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 idea of america was all about people with their leaflets at some level trying to pass out information to people about what was happening in their country and how they couldn't do that in the old world. Here's what this guy has to say. Imagine you walked into a library and there were a trillion pieces of paper flying around in the air and you grabbed one and you didn't know anything about it or where it came from or who's financing it. That's the internet. That's your Facebook feed. That's your Google search. Somehow that is scary to these fucking people. Right. Somehow news and information is scary to people. Like, can you, I, 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 I don't know. Does the New York Times, do they put who's financing 
on the front page of their newspaper? No, no. no. Does the Washington Post do that when they were taking China money and putting leaflet inserts into yeah, their... Yeah, yeah, yeah. China Daily, China Watch. Yeah, were they, were they, did, they, did you see that on the front page? No, disclosing of that? course not. I certainly didn't see that. Did you, how, about, how about all of the information that we've seen peddled through all these left-wing groups right. that have made their way into the front pages of all of these newspapers because they're basically stenographers for the left. Was that disclosed? If you, li- if you live in Washington, D.C. right now and you go on to Twitter and you're on it for a day, any day, you're going to see an ad promoted by an organization called States Newsroom. States Newsroom is one of the constellations of this entire dark money web we've been talking about on the program, all financed by that Hans Verg Weiss Hans Swiss, Swiss billionaire. A Swiss national. A, a, a Swiss, Swiss foreign yeah. national right, right. who's funding hundreds of millions a, of dollars. An American politician cannot advertise political content on Twitter, but a Swiss billionaire can make a fake news network and advertise it attacking on Republicans. Yeah. Well, here, here's here's the thing, fellas. The Swiss can spend as much money as they want. The dark money libs can load as much money as they want. But in this country, we have had a regularly scheduled election every two years since its founding, and the people are coming. They're coming. That's right. And so it's and a red, red wave update. Uh, like, uh, you, you know, this Randy Weingarten is a perfect example. So I got blocked for calling her out for having a private jet. You know, everyone who has had kids knows this is this this pandemic has been 10 times as hard on someone who has kids than someone who does not oh thank you for it thank you for i mean that's the truth and it's (laughs) super and and beyond that and i agree so uh uh uh, barry weiss uh had a great uh monologue when when i'm bill maher i'm bill maher where she pointed out that history will remember that those who were like the least susceptible to suffer the consequences of COVID were the most punished. Like when I God, see God, it was so brilliant. When I see these images of these kids being forced to sit outside in 20 degree weather right. and eat alone, they're not allowed to talk. I saw this tweet this guy sent me who was like, my kid has to wear a mask for seven hours a day. At lunch, uh, they, the kids are not allowed to speak to each other. <clears throat> They have to eat in silence, and they have a screen that plays content to, to help make sure that the kids don't talk to each other. How dystopian is this? Well, it's let, like let, the squid game. Let, let me, it's, that's exactly let, it's let, just horrific. Let me bring it back to NewsGuard for one second to get back on the point here of this filtering program that these schools are going to use from the website of this NewsGuard. This is the headline, Tracking Disinformation Campaigns with Human Intelligence and AI. Quote, Leveraging its bird's eye view of the digital information environment, NewsGuard extracts and catalogs the top misinformation narrative spreading online. NewsGuard provides data about each narrative in machine-readable format, such as example language, links containing the false claim, and here's the important part, the related keywords and hashtags. That's what they're so, after. Oh. So, so Randy Weingarten, uh, private jet? Maybe they put that on the keyword yeah. list of hey, the stuff hey, that your kids aren't allowed to see. If someone says Randy Go- Weingarten has a private jet, that could be very harmful to democracy. Yeah, you know what? We're going to have to add that to the restricted keywords list so that the kids don't see that. I mean, keep your eyes out, folks. This this kind of stuff is really happening. It's another reason why you need to be super involved, as many of you already have in the 2022 election. Let me give you a red wave update, fellas. Um it was announced yesterday that the Senate Leadership Fund, that's the primary super PAC for Senate Republicans, the, the, they hauled in over $94 million Let's last go. year. 
Like that is that's enthusiasm. Ninety four million dollars. They say that that is an absolute record. Uh, it's nearly twenty million more than the groups had in their coffers in twenty twenty. Twenty twenty in presidential. a presidential cycle. Yeah, presidential cycle. Yeah. So, and, but it's not even just that. At a candidate level, a friend of the program, a uh, great guy. Remember, he was like first to race in and do an interview. Tim Scott of South Carolina, just a tremendous senator. He's raised over $37 million yes. himself, including $7 million in Q4. He was what, like episode three? Like he, he's been there. He's been in early, man. And he's such a good dude. He's just, a, he's actually just a quality human being really more than anything else. But he's also a hell of a, a politician and he's raising a ton of money. And he, ra- and he raised a lot of money for his colleagues last cycle. Yeah, that's the thing is he gives so much money. Right, right. Shout to, out to, to, to Jennifer. To yeah, cycle. Jennifer is to cheap. Casper. Yeah. yeah, she's fantastic. She is. She is. They've done a great job. Herschel Walker had $5.4 million Let's in the fourth go. quarter. So, I mean, remember Georgia, that's Georgia's a big seat. Herschel's putting that in a exact position. I just saw the po- I just saw the polling uh, yesterday that that race is neck and neck, what, like separated by a point, like Warnock and, and Walker were right there. And now he's raised $5.4 million. Let's go. It's incredible. And the polling kind of reflects that. In another one of the races that we've been watching with Nevada, we've been talking about, uh, there was a new poll that came out amongst young people in Nevada where 28% approve of their sitting senator, Senator Mastow, 42% disapprove. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. I mean, she's toast. Oh, she's toast. She's toast. If we can stay out of our own way there, we are absolutely going to win. So, look. This is to, to Ashbrook's point that he was making during the Weingarten piece. All of this stuff should make you very afraid, but you have recourse. And as long as we have recourse, we need to get involved. You need to actually get involved in every one of these races, because if we don't have majorities, you can't stop this stuff. You just can't stop this stuff. Also, it is for me so awesome to see Herschel Walker running i mean like that's literally what yeah he like does a childhood best. hero it's right? what he does best the guy i mean if you want him <laughs> yeah. to run herschel walker has you covered do we know anyone there we need herschel walker on the show we do we do and i we, fact, we in fact i got a text from from one of his people today so hopefully he'll come on the program here sometime soon and we can get this done anyway we have another one of our candidates that we got to get to uh, you've heard a lot about him in the news in the Ohio Senate race where there's like a dozen candidates running. We've done, I think we've done our level best to try to get everyone that we can on the program. I think we've done four yeah. interviews with so far with Ohio Senate candidate. Yep. Uh, but but this is Josh Mandel. I want to welcome to the program somebody I've known for, I think, what feels like two or three different lifetimes at this point. Um been a been a a friend over the years. He is a was a United States Marine. He's also state treasurer of Ohio. He's now running for United States Senate in a critical Senate race in Ohio. Josh Mandel, welcome. Hey, Josh. Good to be on. Hey, man. Uh, so you got kind of a race going on there. Hard yeah, not like to 80, notice. It's like eighty-four people running. <laughs> I mean. It is a little different, right? This is uh, the one Senate race, I think, above all else. Now, there are a couple others that are coming online that are sort of in the same territory, but something that you've been making news now for like, you know, months and months and months. How's it going? It's going well. I mean, we, uh, we've we been leading in every poll so far, whether it's our opponents polling, our own polling, the public polling. Um, but it, I think everyone was surprised to see that uh, Senator Portman was retiring 
I think it was probably about a year ago now. I think it was like yeah. late January, maybe last year. He, you know, announced this and shocked everyone in Ohio, at least, you know, maybe there in DC people like heard rumblings and knew it was coming, but here in Ohio, it was really kept under wraps. And so, uh, you know, we had to make a relatively quick decision whether or not to run. And, you know, my, my phones were just flooding with people, you know, friends of mine throughout the state that said, listen, the state needs you, the country needs you. I know you weren't planning on this, but it's one of those things where man plans and God laughs and you should do it. And so I made the decision to get in. Um, we were first out of the blocks uh, and uh, we've been out working everyone. Uh, you know, what I tell my staff is it's okay to be outspent, but it's not okay to be outworked. And, you know, I'm the only non-self-funder in the race. So to be sure, we're getting outspent by a ton of money. We're pretty much the only campaign that's not on TV. Everyone else is flooding the airwaves and we're just focused on this grassroots campaign. We uh, decided early on, rather than running the campaign through traditional Republican groups like Lincoln Day Dinners and those kind of things, instead, we're running the campaign through churches. Hmm. I have a lot of uh, close relationships with you know, evangelical pastors throughout the state. You know, part of it is through my um, real pointy tip of the spear leadership in the pro-life movement. Uh, part of it, you know, I've been very involved with standing up for religious liberty in this state. And then part of it is being involved with the pro-Israel movement. As you know, yeah. a lot of the strongest supporters of the U.S.-Israel relationship are evangelical Christians. In fact, I believe the best friend Israel has uh, is evangelical Christians throughout throughout America. And while a lot of liberal Jews are, I'd say, pretty soft uh, when it comes to uh, you know Israel's right to protect herself and her people, evangelical Christians get it and think that um, the Jewish people should be able to live, build, and conduct commerce in every inch of Israel, including Judea and Samaria. And so through a lot of those relationships, I just reached out to some of my friends who are pastors and I said, hey, I know I'm going to get out, spend heavily in this race. And so we have to have a superior grassroots organization. And I'd like the Christian activists and Christian leaders throughout the state to be at the head of that. And so our first church town hall was in a town called Bucyrus, Ohio. Josh, it's literally a, it's a church called Victory and Truth Ministries, literally in the middle of a soybean field. And we <laughs> I were, love it. We were, it, it, it's, it's uh, about a, an hour north of Columbus and maybe a little more than an hour south of Lake Erie. So it's sort of like North Central Ohio. And, uh, you know, we were expecting, hoping to have like 75 people there that night. And we ended up having over 250 people show up. Oh, wow. And wow. So that gives you an indication that you're heading in the right direction, I assume? Yeah. So we, we talked about it after and we're like, you know, there was something special. You could just sort of feel an energy and a vibe. Let's, let's do this again. And so we had one in uh, Finley, Ohio, which is rural as well at a church called uh, First Nazarene. Finley's about an hour south of Toledo, Hancock County. And uh, we had over 270 people show up at First Nazarene there. We did one in Washington Heights Baptist, which is in Dayton, had about 300 people show up there. We did one at a church called uh, Solid Rock Church, which is a big non-denominational evangelical church in Warren County. Warren County's about, it's, it's basically between Cincinnati and Dayton had over 500 people show up there, an amazing pastor named uh, Lawrence Bishop. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and then the biggest one we've had, we did one in the middle of a cornfield. Uh, it was called Community Grace Brethren Church in uh, West Milton, Ohio. 
and we had over 600 people there show up. And I'm not sure exactly when this podcast is going to air, go live, but tomorrow night we have our next one. Uh, this is Tuesday, the 25th at Troy Baptist Church in a town called Troy, Ohio, which is Miami County, yeah, rural, you know, Western Ohio. And uh, we're looking to have a great turnout there tomorrow night. And that's so- a really, I mean, it's an interesting playbook, right? Because you're somebody who's been around a while and you've had success in Republican politics in Ohio for over a decade. And I have to assume that throughout your career, you know, you've had a, a lot of support from sort of traditional Republican means. And so, you know, the, the, the idea of shifting that entirely to a faith-based community, it, it seemed like somewhat of a gamble at the outset, but it seems like it might be paying, paying off for you. Listen, we're not uh, being disrespectful at all to the traditional Republican Party groups. You know, whenever we host one of these church town halls, we always invite them uh, to join and we want the central and executive committees and all the local party activists to join. Um, but, you know, rather than running the campaign through the party groups or running the campaign through churches. And one of the interesting things is, and one of the challenges is, you know, when you, when you run your campaign through Republican party events, you already have a, a in ingrown crowd, right? The crowd's there. So, you know, if you're going to show up at a Lincoln day dinner or a clam bake or a hog roast that the local party's doing, you know, they're bringing the people, you just have to show up and talk. Yep. The challenging thing we're doing, which you can't fake and you can't, manufacturer is we're building these events from scratch. And so like people either show up or they don't. And the amazing right. thing is like people are showing up in the hundreds. And so some of our opponents try to do this kind of thing, like build their own events. And the the pictures are pretty stark. You know, we, we've, we've posted online some contrasts of <laughs> events that some of our opponents have hosted with events we've hosted. And, you know, our opponents try to do an event in a restaurant or a bar or an office, they get like 14 people, 20 people. And you can identify some of those 20 people as staffers, right? And relatives. Whereas we're organically getting, you know, 300, 400, 500 people to these events. And there's something, as you know, you know, you just, you can't fake grassroots energy behind your campaign. It's not something you could buy with money. It's not something you could fake. Either people at the grassroots level believe in you or they don't. And I think one of the main things we have going for us is I believe in what I stand for. I believe in what I talk about. People know I'm real. Um, and I'm listen, I'm not the most charismatic guy in the world. I'm not this, I'm not an author. I'm not a movie star. I'm not a TV star, whatever, but I'm a fighter. And I think people respect that and they want to get behind it. And yeah, it's, it's, I would say when we win this thing in a few months, when we look back on it we're going to be able to tell the story that we overcame getting outspent by tens of millions, but we won because we had this incredible grassroots organization. The thing that's been so interesting to me watching the Ohio Senate race unfold is, as you mentioned, you got a a whole boatload of opponents, but there's been a ton of spending in the race, right? I mean, people have been active on air, I mean, a ton of stuff going on here for a number of months and, and everything seems sort of static at this point. Like nothing's really, nothing's really happened. And so That's I guess my- the, the consultants got to get paid, you know, yeah. <laughs> when you, when you got, when you got a client as a self funder, it's, you know, it's never early enough. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's interesting to watch, um, what is that? I mean, do you think that people have not totally tuned in yet, despite the fact that there's all kinds of 
enthusiasm and, and as evidenced by the events that you were talking about, people are clearly interested. But, but what is it about the Ohio Senate race where, you know, you can spend, you know, untold millions and everything just sort of seems like it's in the exact same place it started? Yeah. So I'll give you a statistic that's interesting. Besides for John Glenn, who is famous for obvious reasons, being yeah. a you know, Marine combat pilot and also being the famous astronaut. Besides for John Glenn, no one has ever been elected to U.S. Senate in Ohio, Democrat or Republican, without having been elected to office before. And I'm the only candidate running who's been elected to statewide office. I'm the only candidate running who's been elected to statewide office twice. I'm the only candidate running who's been elected to statewide office twice by double digits both times, you know, and smash the Democrat opponent. And, and so, as you know, Ohio is a tough state to run in. You know, it, it, I'll give you a, a comparison. So Illinois and Ohio are population wise about the same. Illinois is about 12 million people. We're about 11.7 million people. But in Illinois, if you're in the Chicago media market, I think you cover around like two out of every three voters in Illinois, something like that. In Ohio, there's nothing like that. You know, you have Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, Dayton, Toledo, Akron, Canton, Youngstown. And then in Appalachia, you have to buy, you know, TV and radio and Parkersburg, West Virginia, Huntington, West Virginia. Yeah. I'm familiar uh, with the media markets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you know, from Kentucky, well, um, Wheeling, West Virginia. And then in uh, Western Ohio, you have to buy some Fort Wayne, Indiana TV. And then there's these small markets like Zanesville and Lima. And then on top of that, as you know, if you're buying media in Cincinnati, you're wasting a lot of money because people in yeah. Kentucky and Indiana are watching it. So it's, it's very complicated. And so similar to the not being able to fake the grassroots, you can't really fake being somewhere and caring about people uh, in certain areas. And so, for instance, some of my opponents are visiting Portsmouth, Ohio for the first time in their life. You know, Portsmouth, Ohio is like the six o'clock on the clock, like very yeah. tip of, of Ohio, looking you know, looking across the, the, the river in Kentucky. I've been there probably 30, 40 times. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my opponents have never been to Wheeling, West Virginia, uh, to Steubenville in their life looking across the river into Wheeling. Um, you know, I've, I've been to Steubenville probably 40, 50 times. Um, you know, some of my opponents have never been to Lima in their entire life in Western Ohio. I've probably been there 60 times. And so my opponents are visiting these small towns for the first time in their life, just trying to be in the local newspaper for the first time, be in the local radio for the first time, intro- literally introducing themselves and I've been there. And as you know, especially in some of the smaller towns, a big part of the challenge of convincing people you're the guy that they could trust you is giving them the opportunity to look in the whites of your eyes and size you up. And you can't press fast forward with money on that. Mm-hmm. There's no way to like shortcut that. You actually have to like get in the car and drive three hours and spend time there. Yeah. And I, I've done that. And I, I've spent the time with the local community leaders and business leaders and church leaders. And I think one of the reasons why my opponents are just sort of, even though they're spending, as you said, tens of millions of dollars, they're just sort of running in place and they're really playing musical chairs with each other is because they're just trying to buy the election. And you can't, in a state like Ohio, you can't buy it. You you actually have to have put the sweat in there. That's why that statistic, you know, where John Glenn's the one exception, it's a statistic that 
you know, you you probably know that kind of stuff in your gut, but most people in Washington and New York and around, outside of Ohio don't know it. Like if you if you stepped outside of Ohio, people think the race is between me and JD Vance. Yeah. Like, but here in Ohio, the guy's running in like fourth and fifth place. Like, you know, the, the voters seem as a total fake. And so it's like there's this huge disconnect between the narrative of the race in California, DC, and New York, and the reality of the race on the ground. And the reality of the race on the ground is. I'm consistently up in every poll. I, I, my opponent's polls, my polls, public polls. And second place and third place keep switching. But to your point, they're just sort of all playing musical chairs. You know, they're all running consistently 10 to 15 points below me. And they're just playing musical chair. You know, you know, somebody spends a little money on TV, they go up to second. Then they go down and someone else spends money, they go to second. And they, they just switch around. But, you know, essentially, they're, it, it's, it's almost like, you know, when we were kids playing king of the mountain. Like <laughs> we're on top of the mountain. We're consistently on top of the mountain. And they have to kill each other to get to us. And like, I think in March, April, the fight's going to be us versus someone. But we have no idea who that someone's going to be. I was be. just going to say, at this point, do you have any ballpark on who's emerging from the rest of the pack? I, I literally have no idea. I mean, if you would have asked me that, if you would have asked me that, you know, four months ago, I might have said J.D. Vance. But like now he's in fourth or fifth place. I mean, he's, a lot of his his past statements have come out. And he just, I think the voters should have seen him as fake. They just don't trust him. Um, three months ago, I might've seen, might've said Jane Timken, but like people aren't really buying what she's selling, you know, a couple months ago, I might've said Mike Gibbons, but like, you know, he's had some struggles. And so I don't really know. Like I, 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 at what point do you guys have a a debate scheduled? Is there anything where they get everybody on one, on one stage? Yeah. Well, and one other, I'm going to answer that question. One other thing just to mention Matt Dolan, who's a state Senator from up here in the Cleveland area. Josh, I, I thought it was a lot of money when when Bernie Marino put in four million. I thought that was a lot of money. Jane Timken put in three or four million. I thought that was a lot of money. When Mike Gibbons put in nine million, I was like, "Wow, that's more money than anyone's ever put into a race in Ohio." Like, no one will ever beat that. And then last week, Matt Dolan, whose family owns the Cleveland Indians, the New York Knicks, and Madison Square Garden, wrote a check for ten point five million dollars. And so, like in a lot of ways, this this race is turning into like a mini presidential race. I'm the only one that you know can't write a check like these guys. And so, you know, Matt Dolan might be in second place in a month if he's. I mean, you know, if he spends yeah. all that money. So I, I don't. Um, but I would say like all of their support when they do the musical chairs from second to third to fourth, back to third, back to second, they're all. Um, it's all soft support. It's just like temporary because they're buying it. It's not like hard like i believe in this guy type support like we have so do you do you want to debate them or at this point are you just sort I've of been, uh, we welcome it I, I i've been on the stage we've probably done we've been on the stage together all of us who i just mentioned probably seven or eight times already so we've been pretty aggressive in debating each other what, what we've had is they call them they called them candidate forums rather yeah, than debates right. but it was a, they essentially turned into debates so rather than like the actual like going at each other, asking each other questions and having the back and forth, the way these things were structured, uh, they, they were basically like, they would ask everyone the same question and we'd all answer it. But sometimes they, they'd have candidate specific questions, but we did one in a town called Versailles, which is like Western rural yep. Ohio. We did one in Strongsville, which is suburban Cleveland. We did one in, um, uh, that was at the Strongsville Community Center. We did one at uh, Versailles was in the high school. We did one in Columbus, North Columbus Baptist Church. Oh, so you guys have done, you've done a fair oh, yeah. amount we, of these things. We did one day. in Westchester, which is like Butler County, suburban Cincinnati, at a church there. We had one, we did one, you know, candidate forum debate. Hugh Hewitt moderated it. 
Um, and it was uh, it was sponsored by uh, uh, CCV, which is Center for Christian Virtue. We were at Genoa Baptist Church in uh, Westerville, which is suburban Columbus. Josh, there were over a thousand people there. So wow! Like, so there's you, big interest. Yeah, like a lot of people will say, like, w- would say, as the front runner, I shouldn't be paying attention to them. We're taking the opposite attack. I'm proud of what I stand for. I have no problem debating anyone. And so we've done. I've probably debated them seven or eight times. And then I don't know if you saw, but earlier today we announced that. I'm actually going to debate later this week, Morgan Harper, who's the AOC type candidate running in the Democrat primary for Senate. Of course Tim, you are. Yeah, Tim Ryan is a total oh, wimp and he's afraid to debate her. So I said, hey, hey, Tim, if you're afraid to debate her, then I'll debate her. I love yeah. that idea. That's great. That's perfect. Well, here, so I want I'm a little short on time, but I got to get to two things before I ask our, our three questions. The first is, as you're going around, what are the kind of the biggest one or two issues that you, as your campaign, are are dealing with that you think voters are responding to at this point? Inflation's a big one. I mean, yeah. everywhere I go, people are getting crushed by it. And we call it the Biden inflation. Like he manufactured it. He created it. Yeah, 100%. I was, yeah, I was at a Waffle House in Octa, Ohio, probably a month ago, halfway between uh, Columbus and, and Cincinnati, a very rural area. My waitress name was Teresa. She was the only waitress there. And there was one cook. And I could tell like she was, she was overwhelmed, you know, because there was just a lot. The place was full. And I was just trying to be nice to her and calm her down. And, and, and she said, I said, how you doing? She's like, listen, Josh, she's like, all of our other employees are home. They're getting paid by basically like the Biden unemployment welfare programs. They're getting Hey, they're, they're taking my tax dollars as a waitress to pay people to stay home. So I'm the only waitress here. Mm-hmm. I work a long day. I get people are yelling at me because I can't bring their food out fast enough because there's one waitress and one cook. I go after work to the gas station. I have trouble filling up my gas tank because the, the gas prices are astronomical. Yeah. I go to the grocery store. And when I go to buy like bread or milk or meat for my family, it's more expensive. And she's like, I'm just trying to do the right thing. I'm like, I'm a mom. I'm in the small town. I'm working. I could be on welfare, but I'm not. I'm working. I'm doing the right thing. Being a good example for my kids. And I'm the one getting screwed. And yeah. I, I think there's a lot of like working class, working poor people, not just in my state, but I would speculate around the country who are feeling that pinch because, you know, Biden and Pelosi and Schumer have just spent so much money. Yeah. With nothing to show for it. And really, I believe a lot of the bills they've passed are just political payoffs to their allies and friends. Yeah, no question about it. And they want a lot of that money to be spent in elections for them. Yeah. And And those are now the people that the Republican Party is representing. Right. I mean, it's it's, it's so it's so true. It's like the Republican Party has become the party of the working man. It's so true. And I and I'll give you you ask about issues here. A second issue on that topic. You probably know this just from being familiar with the area, but a lot of people don't realize if you took the state of Ohio, the state of West Virginia, and the state of Pennsylvania, and you combined our three states into a region, that region would be the third largest producer of natural gas in the entire world. Hmm. Not just in America, but the world. Yeah. Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. These are the same areas in eastern Ohio and western PA where Obama, when he was campaigning in 2007 against Hillary Clinton, the primary, he went on San Francisco radio. He said, 
if I get elected president, I'm going to put the coal business out of business. I'm going to kill coal in places like Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Kentucky. And unfortunately and sadly, Obama did that. And he he succeeded in large part in killing so many of these coal jobs um, throughout eastern Ohio, western PA, and West Virginia. The beautiful thing, though, is in those same areas, beneath the ground is an abundance of natural gas. And so in some of these poor, poor, poverty-ridden towns, ghost towns that used to be you know bustling coal and steel towns, there's now this economic resurgence in the Utica and the Marcella shale. Yeah. Uh, we have a guy who works for us. He's from Cambridge. He was telling us Cambridge, Ohio, which is like Eastern Ohio, about halfway between Columbus and like the West Virginia border. If you just go, it's sort of, if you go due East from Columbus, they've had population growth for the first time in 70 years in that area, Cambridge, Ohio, Guernsey County. And most of it's from the, the natural gas drilling there. Cause you yeah, gotta remember, that's great. It's, it's men and women who are driving sand trucks, you know, hauling sand, hauling water, um, all different things in and around, in and around the uh, actual rigs and the roughnecks. But on top of that, you've got all these people from Texas and Colorado and Oklahoma coming here and they're drilling. They're staying in the hotels, they're eating in the restaurants, they're going to the bars, they're buying clothes, they're going to the stores. And it's unbelievable, man. And the way I say it is we've got hundreds of thousands of jobs buried in the ground. We can either keep those jobs buried in the ground, which Biden wants to do, or we can bring those jobs out of the ground. Yeah. We can bring down the cost of heating homes. You know, it's like 19 degrees a day in Cincinnati. I think it's like 15 degrees in Cleveland. Think about working class on fixed income families heating their homes. Imagine we could bring those costs down, bring down the cost of powering factories so you can hire more people or increase wages, wages. And on top of that, it contributes to our national security. You know, if we're dependent on ourselves instead of radical Islamic regimes. Yeah, Back totally at the ranch, right. you got Biden who stops the Keystone Pipeline in the middle of America, wants to shut down the pipeline from Michigan to Alberta, lifts the sanctions, which essentially enabled the Russian pipeline. And then on yeah. top of that says, hey, why don't we depend on OPEC? <laughs> Wait a second, Biden, OPEC. I mean, these, these are like literally radical Islamic countries that want to push America into the sea. Right. How about we depend on ourselves? How about we produce oil and gas in places like Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado. We power America independently. And then on top of that, we export to the rest of the world. So instead of the Europeans having to be dependent on Putin and Russia. Yeah, it seems they were buying. What if they were buying American natural? It seems pretty self-explanatory to guys like you and me and probably everybody listening to this. But for some reason, they can't get it through their heads. Josh, I got to get three questions in here that we do to everybody. And these are the ones that people pay attention to. Okay. First one is if you can plan your last meal on earth, what is it? Pasta forno. So this is uh, <laughs> my, my grandma Fernanda when I was growing up. So my grandma Fernanda was an Italian Jew, which is relatively uncommon. Right. My grandma Fernanda, my aunt Marietta, my aunt Renata, my uncle Mario. <laughs> so and that's they were real full-blooded, Italian. Full-blooded Italian. Many yeah. generations in Italy, they were saved. Actually, they were hidden and saved during World War II, during the Holocaust by courageous Christian families. She had this dish she made. She died young, unfortunately, but my mom carried it on. And that was like my favorite meal growing up was pasta forno. I love it. That's a great answer. That's a good, authentic answer. All right. Second question. If you never got into politics, what would you be doing with your life? 
Right now, I am a Bitcoin enthusiast and a crypto oh, really? enthusiast. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I, I'd love to do it, come on the show another time and talk all about yeah, that. Yeah. Listen, but, let's do it. We'll do it again as we get closer. I'd love to hear more about that because we actually have been getting more into that discussion, but we could always use a little more education. That's awesome. Uh, all right. Third and final question. What motivates Josh Mandel more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? And the way that we polarize this is thrill of victory is the sunny optimist charging up the hill glass half full kind of person. The agony of defeat person's like Michael Jordan, right? Every defeat they've ever had, they wear like a backpack. Where you got? By far getting knocked on my butt. Yeah. That's it, man. I mean, every time I get knocked down, people are like, people are like, you're not getting up. I dust myself up, dust, my, dust myself off. And I stand up even taller and charge forward even stronger. And, you know, it, it's, it, it motivates. When people tell me I can't climb a hill or it's impossible, you can't do this, you can't win, you can't, whatever it is, it motivates me to want to do it more. I like that. And that seems like I would have guessed that from you, Josh. All right. So where do we find you? Where our listeners find you if they want to help you out? Yeah, it's real easy. It's uh, joshmandel.com. <clears throat> Just how it sounds. J-O-S-H-M-A-N-D-E-L.com. You can check me out there. I'm a Marine Corps vet. Did a couple tours in Iraq. I'm a dad. Have uh, three kids. Gideon, who's five years old. Judah, who's seven years old, Rosie, who's eight years old. And I'll finish up by saying this, Josh, you know, people ask me why I'm running and I give them three reasons. I tell them Gideon, Judah, and Rosie. You know, I think the left in this country is trying to destroy America and trying to make our kids want to hate this country. And I'm doing this to save the country for my kids, for your kids, and for the kids and grandkids of your listeners. And if I had to boil down what the fight we're in, that is the fight we're in to save the country for our kids and grandkids. Well, if we're going to be able to do that, we're certainly going to need the Ohio Senate race. Josh, good luck to you out there and stay in touch. We'll do it again. Thanks, man. So look, I mean, the one thing that he said that's absolutely true is that race hasn't moved a lick and it is where it is. Um, I have, I imagine that it's going to heat up from here. I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that whoever we ultimately nominate, it is not an option to lose the race. Yeah. Right. It's so not the, an option. I mean, that's my thing is... I, I, I actually am very much for a very healthy primary. Let's get the best candidate out there. Let's win the seat. Yeah, and that's what one, it comes down to. In this one, that's 100% we true. we got to win. I feel the same way about Pennsylvania, by the way, where you've got a bunch of candidates who have not run statewide before that we've done a ton of interviews with that we're ultimately like helping vet through, I think, on the variety yeah, program. Yeah, on the show. Yeah, right. We'll get McCormick. We'll get we'll get anybody who wants to come on. But those folks, I think, will produce the best candidate, which is really important that we do because we got to win these races. And, and, and speaking of winning, another winning show, gentlemen. Absolute banger. And again, thank you so much to our listeners. Get ready for that live event, February 10th in D.C. So... Until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Friday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>